This Organized Chaos podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you. Hello again. It's been a while since I've done a solo podcast, but I'm the only one that went to the, yes, uh, 50th anniversary, well, the 50th anniversary of the Close to the Edge album, which isn't too far off from their 50th anniversary. I'm the only one to go went to that concert, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and talk about and give my Yes album ranking, which is an extensive album ranking. I don't think anybody else in my network has actually, like, dove into Yes as deeply as I have. Like, I'll be frank. Um, when I decide, oh, maybe I'll just do a Yes album ranking, I had to look into it, because I wasn't even sure if I had all the albums, and I was missing... Well, I essentially didn't have the keys to Ascension. So those are actually Yes songs I'd never even heard of. So I I got to listen to those. And so that's pretty cool. And there are definitely some uh, good ones on that. Uh, Pretty much, yeah, like going into this, I was familiar with Yes, starting from the Yes album until about Fly Away From Here. And all that stuff I'm pretty familiar with. It's the two later ones and the two earlier ones I was a bit less familiar with. And of course, Keys to Ascension. So I got to get familiar with all that. So I'm going to go ahead and cover all that in this podcast. Um, however, the podcast usually begins with some news. I'm I'm not going to have a whole lot of news, but there's definitely something I want to talk about. And that is this Twitter purchase by Elon Musk. Um, this is quickly turning into a shit show. So um, here, I'll just go back to it. So essentially, Elon Musk announced that... Um, the blue check mark, which people would get next to their name. It's usually when people are popular, mainly celebrities, athletes, politicians. They get popular, so they get a blue check mark to verify they're the actual person and not some sort of fake person, you know, pretending to be them. This is very typical on pretty much every social media site. Well, Elon Musk, in his insane purchase to buy Twitter, which is clearly something he was just fucking around with and never actually intended to do, but now he's got it, so now he has to figure out what to do with it. Decided he is going to make the blue check mark a pay-for service. He initially announced it's going to be $20 a month. Then Stephen King shat on him for that, and then he said, well, how about $8 a month? And he's still getting shit on for that, but it's like, okay. Aren't you the richest man in the world? Why do you need $8 a month? Anyways, um... But yes, uh, lots of celebrities and have uh, taken advantage of this idiotic policy. Because I'll tell you off the top of my head, bots usually have some money behind them. They're not just usually some random fucking trolls. There's usually money. Um, I can't tell you the number of Russian bots I've dealt with on my channel when I talk about Ukraine stuff. I deal with tons of Russian bots. Absolutely insane. And there's money behind these bots. There's money behind this misinformation being pushed out there, not just by Russia, but all types of misinformation. There's money. So the idea that you get a blue check mark and that's going to filter out the bots? No. The bots will be fine. They'll just get fucking blue check marks in the next to their name and be even more of an issue. But his idea is okay, verification just requires $8 a month. So a lot of celebrities have taken to trolling him. What they've done is they've taken their blue check mark and then changed their name to Elon Musk and also changed their profile picture to one of his pictures and just started fucking posting shit. And then Elon Musk's response to this was to just start banning people permanently. Um, the mo- probably the most uh, famous person he banned permanently for this was Kathy Griffin. 
Um, I believe Ethan Klein also fell victim to this. Anyways, this is a story from The Guardian. Elon Musk has banned U.S. comedian's Twitter account after taking on users who impersonate him on the platform. I'm assuming this is uh, Kathy Griffin uh, is the U.S. comedian. Uh, Twitter's new owner announced an immediate ban on accounts pretending to be someone else without flagging them as parodies. The move resulted in the removal of an Elon Musk account held by comedian Kathy Griffin, who had changed her name to match as the Tesla chief executive. Musk Musk tweeted, going forward, any Twitter handles engaging impersonation without clearly specifying parody will be permanently suspended. Permanent ban for that. That is insane. He added that there would be no warning before suspensions are imposed, that any name would result in losing their blue tick, which verifies who they are. Griffin, who tweeted about the U.S. midterm election under Musk's name with one tweet saying, After much spirited discussion with the females in my life, I decide voting blue or their choice is only right. There are also sexy females, by the way. Hashtag vote blue to protect women. Musk tweeted about the account ban, saying Griffin had been removed for impersonating a, com- impersonating a comedian, but, couldn't, but could have her account back for eight. Th- oh, my God. And there's also, uh, let me go ahead and dig this up. Because this whole thing's bullshit. Like, Elon Musk talks about, oh, we're going to make comedy free again. But it's, 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 it's all a lie. Um, it's all bullcrap. Because he's like, uh, free speech is free again. Where's my $8 a month? But let me go ahead and show you this, uh, clip of Elon Musk talking about this blue check mark. Alright, so here is just, uh, so the way I think about it is that, so I'm trusting you with the future of our country, of the world, actually, when you're in charge of a media uh, like that. So how do you prevent, to so being Jewish, uh, how do you prevent this anti-Semitism? Or if I were black, how do you prevent all of the... So, so, so how do you prevent the use of the N-word? We should be able to figure out with software how to moderate this and prevent that from happening. Is that true or not? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, totally agree. Um, the <clears throat> temporarily, people have been able to put some hate speech on on Twitter, but um, but then it's been taken down immediately. Um, so now, <clears throat> part of what I'm trying to achieve with this sort of um, enabling everyone to, to be payment verified with with Twitter Blue is to try to get as many people payment verified as possible. Uh, it's only eight bucks a month, um, although for some people that were complaining about that, and these are people who pay more than that for their latte. I'm going to be one of your Twitter blue customers. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, but but, it's, but like a, it's part of its revenue, part of it is payment authentication. And so if somebody, uh, because there is a huge problem with spam and, and bots and trolls, on, on Twitter and organizations trying to manipulate pu- public opinion. But, but if we can get enough verified users and we're going to prioritize um, Twitter search, replies, uh, mentions um, by verified users first. Um, and, and yeah, ver- if, if you're payment verified with blue checkmark, then you'll be prioritized and, and hateful conduct pays. But if somebody risks losing even eight bucks, they, they, they the, the net effect will be over time that the the verified users will be will, will pretty much always be at the top of of comments and search and you won't really see you'll have to scroll far to see the unverified uh, users which will be the bots and 
and trolls and whatnot. Like, so if something we don't want to see, it gets pushed way down. Yeah, just put the, the basic. So yeah, he is he is going to suppress anybody who doesn't have blue check marks. So pretty much, um, if you're on Twitter and don't have blue check mark, well, we're going to suppress your speech. Um, this is just insane. Um, listen, all social media networks are cesspools. Strangely enough, Twitter might have been the best one, but I think under Elon Musk, it might just become like all the others. All the right wing stuff, all the right wing garbage is going to rise to the top, and lots of the other stuff just kind of gets down at the bottom. It's ridiculous. And, you know, and it, it's one of those things. Like, just look on YouTube. It's one of the things I've been fighting on YouTube. Big left-wing YouTube creators don't tip... Like, a couple might hit a million, but it's very uncommon. They usually maybe get 100,000. Like, and it's actually getting fairly common for big right-wingers to get, like, half a million quite easily. Um, this, this is a problem, and the right... It's... It's just, it's, and it's awful content. It's bigoted content. And Elon Musk is just going to turn Twitter, which was slightly not as bad as the other ones. He's just going to make it just as bad. This is bad news to the least bad social media network, probably. But yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this Twitter stuff. And it's, it's not good. It's not going in a good way. But you know what? We're here. We're here to talk about yes. We're not here to talk about Twitter. We're here to talk about yes. So let's go ahead and we're going to go into my album ranking. And then I'm going to put some footage together that I got from the concert. And I'm going to put together at the end so you get a concert review at the end. And then, but that's going to come after the album ranking. So uh, I even got this whole special set up for the yes album ranking. Check this out. Boom. Close the edge all around me. Looks all pretty. It's nice. Nice little setup. I, yeah, I, it, I'm, I'm actually physically in a little box on the album. I didn't do this digitally. Um, help me now. But yes. So as for the Yes albums, I'm ranking all 23 Yes albums. And you might be thinking, 23? There's not 23 Yes albums. And I will get to that as I go. Because if you look on, it, it's weird. If you look on Wikipedia, there's actually 22 Yes albums. But then I saw something that I actually already had in my collection. I looked into it to see if there's any more like that. But there's pretty much an album that's a Yes album, but just not in name. So I, I went ahead and threw that one in. But anyways, we're going to start out at the bottom. Number 23 is Heaven and Earth. This is their 2014 album, and unfortunately the last one to feature founding member, well, one of the two founding members, uh, Chris Squire. Uh, he died... Not long after this came out, I believe. It was around the same time this came out. Um, absolutely legendary basis. Absolutely great. This was not a great album to go out on, unfortunately. He's got legendary content behind him, though. But this this was perhaps one of... It's not perhaps. This is definitely the most forgettable Yes album I've ever heard. There is nothing here that that catches me. The new singer, John Davison, uh, he does a decent job with kind of the Yes style uh, vocals. But lyrically, his lyrics aren't there yet. It just, nothing works works particularly well here. It's not like it's the worst album ever, but it just, it's, it might genuinely be the most forgettable album ever. It was made, it exists... 
it happened. So you may not be super surprised. So uh, that's my number 23. And my number 22 is their last album, The Quest. This album suffers from all the issues that also plagued Heaven and Earth. With one exception, The Ice Bridge is a cool song. In, in fact, that is literally the one cool song out of the past two Yes albums. The Ice Bridge was awesome. In fact, during the show last night, they did The Ice Bridge, and they did another song from the new album, and the other song from the new album just still didn't work for me, even hearing it live with the live energy in the crowd. It still didn't even work for me. But The Ice Bridge is a great song! Um, and I know there's a history like, uh, uh, where, um, it was actually kind of inspired by another song, but they didn't realize that, but, yeah, I love the Ice Bridge, and there's nothing else I can say about this album. It is fine. I mean, this is the first album, this is, because Chris Squire was still alive for Heaven and Earth, so this is technically the first album, uh, led by Steve Howe, which is cool. Steve Howe was the one that joined and really, like, it was him that really gave Yes its unique sound. Because for a while, it was uh, it was just uh, Anderson, Squire, and Bill Bruford, who were really the big contributors to Yes. And their first two albums were, were decent, but they weren't top-tier Yes. And then Steve Howe came on, and then that's when you start getting the top-tier Yes material. Um, and... Yeah, like I said, I love the Ice Bridge. I've already said I love the Ice Bridge, and that's it. That's the only song here that, that stuck with me. And now on to 21, and 21 is actually their very first album, their self-titled album. And there's actually a significant jump up in quality. Like, I would put Heaven and Earth and the Quest in similar quality ranges, um, but there's a jump up in quality. This this album is significantly better than the other uh, than the two I just went over, which were very meh. They they have a they don't have their sound figured out, but they have a sound figured out, and it's it's interesting. Um, it it's it shows with the times. Obviously, it's a very '60s style album. Um, like every band of that era, they are inspired by the Beatles. It's a uh, it's not quite like a, a Beatles ripoff by any means. Not remotely. It, they are definitely going for their own thing. But it, it's it's definitely not classic yes that it's it's this is good rock band stuff, not not classic yes. And kind of my thoughts about that also bleed into my number twenty pick, which is their second album, Time in a Word. Time in a Word is essentially like the first album. But a bit more memorable songs, a bit more, um, a bit more thought. You can kind of get a sense they're kind of floating a bit more with the progressive stuff. Um, I think it's worth noting both these albums also have a, each album also has a cover or two, which almost became extinct. Yes, almost never does covers, but like the first two albums have at least one or two covers on each one. Um, I think in the the first album they actually do a great cover of uh, the Beatles. Every everything she does. No, every little thing, that's it. Um, and then this one's great, too. The, the, I want to say Astral Traveler. You know, I haven't gone over a favorite song so much, but let me go ahead and dig up my list here. I want to say it was Astral Traveler was the one that I really liked on this one. 
Yeah, Astro. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of did like every little thing's my pick for the self titled, and then for this one, it's Astral Traveler. You're getting a bit more progressive, but you don't feel it really set in until their third album, which I'll get to quite a bit later, actually. So so uh, we're we're getting there, guys. <laughs> Let's get to number. What's after? What's after? Oh, 19. And 19 is Keys to Ascension. So I wasn't 100% sure how to cover Keys to Ascension. Because Keys to Ascension were two albums they did in the 90s that were half studio, half uh, live. And I kind of thought, okay, I got to cover this like uh, Uma Guma when we covered Pink Floyd. So, you know, I'm just going to judge the studio stuff. I'm not going to judge the live stuff. So I cut out the live stuff and just listened to the studio stuff. I believe this one only has a half hour of studio stuff, whereas Keys to Ascension 2 has pretty much a whole album's worth of studio stuff. That being said, there's still a question in my mind. Do I judge these separately, or do I do the Key Studio album they released, which was just the Keys to Ascension 1 and 2, only the studio stuff put together in one album? And I decided to judge them separately because that's how they were released. So I believe this Keys to Ascension has two songs... And it is, it's, this is yes. This is pure classic yes. They found their sound, like, uh, what? At least two decades before they found their sound. So they know what they're doing at this. This is, like, 96. They've got their sound down. And I want to stress, it's kind of interesting. Sonically, you get the last two albums, which are kind of meh. You have the first two albums, which are a step up, but they haven't found their sound yet. And then all the albums, starting here and then going deeper, are just yes. This is them at their sound. They know what they're doing. Boom. Um, Keys to Ascension 1. Studio stuff. It's fine. It's uh, nothing super significant. As far as the Yes catalog, this is just kind of classic Yes, but not really anything new to the wheel. Uh, I guess lots of Yes stuff, you could say, is that after their 70s stuff. But it's it's solid. It's not bad. It's just decent. Uh, my song pick off this one was That That Is. And I didn't stutter. It's actually called That That Is. <laughs> so that brings us to number 18. And number 18. And we're actually getting to the albums now that I, I really quite like quite a bit. Although, honestly, I would say I have an appreciation for almost all of them. Um, especially 20 and on. I have an appreciation for all of them. But my number 18, open your eyes. I want to say this was 1996. This was, uh, I want to say, their first album after doing the two Keys to Ascension sets. They've got some good stuff on here. This is this is solid. I, I you know, listen, I know this is on the back end of the S catalog, but I want to stress I'm a fan. Um, I like almost all these albums. This was definitely one of the ones I had had. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the first one I think we've gone to in this uh, countdown. Which was one that I had on my, uh, my, you know, my phone. Uh, this is one I listened to. There's lots of classic tracks on this. My pick on this was Man in the Moon. But yeah, there's some cool songs on here. Um, but just not my favorite. Uh, of the ones I have on my phone, this is probably the one I return to the least. It's, it's cool. But it's not, like, like I said, they're not... I feel like in the 90s, they were trying to figure out how to bring back their classic sound, but not be exactly the same. And I don't feel like they got to it into a later album that I'll get to down the line. But I, they do get to it later in the 90s. And I guess I'm saying later when this is like 96. But anyways, 
That brings us to number 17, and that is uh, their 1994 album, Talk. This, I would actually say, a lot of the songs on here are actually like less than Open Your Eyes. So why is this higher? Because in my opinion, one of the all-time best Yes songs is on this album, and that is Endless Dream. I absolutely love this song. I want to say it was. It's 10 or 15 minutes long, but it is absolutely a fantastic closer. I love this song so much. The rest of the songs are just kind of standard Yes fare, but Endless Dream, fucking classic. Absolutely love it. Um, and that's the only reason it's above uh, Open Your Eyes, which uh, I would say the tracks on Open Your Eyes, I would mostly say are better, except for Endless Dream. And Endless Dream is just so goddamn good. It just inches talk above uh, Open Your Eyes. Now, number 16? Number 16 is an interesting one, but I, I think it's worth going over. Number 16 is Union. So after the band kind of broke up and we end up with like these two divisions of Yes, we had Yes with uh, Chris Squire, Alan White, uh, Trevor Rabin, and I don't remember who else, but like they, they were working on an album. And then we had the Anderson Bruford uh, Wakeman Howe group, which we'll get to later. They were working on an album and then they started talking and then they decide, fuck it. We're just going to do this giant band collection of Yes. It had like eight or nine members of the band at that time. It was insane. And this is a collection of songs. And why I say a collection of songs, I want to say usually Yes albums feel like a whole album, like a cohesive album. This doesn't. This literally feels like a collection of songs. It feels like you're going song, 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 song. In fact, if I were a bit more objective on this, I would probably put this back at number 18 or maybe even 19. Because this is not some of their best stuff. But this was one of the earlier Yes albums I ended up getting. So I have fonder memories of it. So my pushing it up here is completely subjective, which of course any album ranking is going to be subjective, so I can't help it. Um, there's, there's just good stuff on here. It just doesn't feel like a cohesive album. It just feels like its own, uh, just feels like a collection of songs is what it is. You got Anderson, Buford, Wakeman, Howe, and Yes, this kind of slammed together. They have very similar styles, so it's not like jarring, but uh, I mean, it would almost be a greatest hits if they were songs that were famous, but they're not. <laughs> So, uh, what was my song pick? Without Hope You Cannot Start the Day. And there's lots of good songs on here. It just doesn't go together cohesively as you would expect your average Yes album to do. And that brings us to number 15. Number 15. Keys to Ascension 2. Like I said, the Keys to Ascensions were ones I probably had the least familiarity with going into this. And Keys to Ascension 2 was actually pretty fucking good. It was a huge step up from Keys to Ascension 1, which kind of surprised me. I was ex kind of expecting the same fare, but Keys to Ascension 2 was pretty good. Like, um, I want to say it was the main song they opened up with. What was it? Uh, Mind Drive. Mind Drive. Like, just the beginning of that song. So goddamn good. Um, this, this album really just works. It works very, very well. So, uh, yeah. It's, uh... It's Keys to Ascension 2, somehow better than Keys to Ascension 1, but it's it's good. This is a classic, yes. I mean, we got, like I said, we got so many albums of classic, yes. And the next album, this might be controversial. I don't know if it's controversial, but it was never an album that stuck with me. It definitely is from the classic era, though. So 
We will see if I get backlash for this one. Number 14 is Relayer. Relayer, which I believe was 1974? 75 maybe? 74? In that era. It was the pretty much the album. Like, so they did this this great, like, I want to say like four albums in a row. They were absolute classic. And then after that was Relayer. And Relayer was good. And I want to stress, sonically, that I have no complaints about this album. Sonically, it's almost as good as the other albums. But feels like we got three really long songs here. And this song's... It's tough to describe exactly how the songs work. Because nothing... Like, typically they do a long song. And then it feels like sonically the whole song comes together and links together. And, you know, you have a beginning and end. And it just works. And here it just feels like the songs are act longer. But they're... they're while naturally going to another state in the song, they're naturally going to another state, and but they don't ever return to the previous state, and they just keep on going. If I had to guess, I almost feel like this album almost feels like maybe a Freeform Yes album, which, you know, if it is that, then this is fantastic stuff, but it doesn't quite, um, it doesn't hook you, it doesn't grab you like the other Yes albums of this air. Like, honestly, I'm pretty sure this is the first time I broached the 70s on Yes. So this is, uh, this is, in my opinion, their worst 70s album, for whatever that's worth. Um, ooh, ooh, okay. About ready to get to number 13. Um, yes, fans, you might hate me for this one. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get to it. Number, number 13, the one that you are probably gonna hate me for. This is, um, if I get backlash for anything, it's, I'm willing to bet it's gonna be this one. All right. Number 13. 13. 13th best Yes album. Right in the middle of the pack. Alright. I'm just... Let's go ahead and get out. Uh, here it is. 90125. This was kind of their 80s reinvention. This is Owner of a Lonely Heart. This is uh, Steve Howell left. So now we got Trevor Rabin. We got John Anderson. We got Chris Squire. We got Alan White. Um, I want to say Jeff Downs. Was Jeff Downs the keyboard? God damn, now I need to look this up. I'm pretty sure Jeff Downs was the keyboardist during this era. Or was he? No, I don't think he was. Because, yeah, then, he, I mean, he's a member right now. Who is the keyboardist during this era? Tony K. Tony K. Yeah, I was like, wait, I remember noting that that none of the current lineup worked on this album. And yeah, Tony K was a keyboardist during this era. Um, this is this is a good one. And you can really tell because I actually got one of Trevor Rabin's solo albums. and It's pretty good. You can tell sonically what he how he influenced. Yes, significantly. If you listen to a solo album, you listen to this. He is a strong influence on. Yes, kind of like probably what Steve Howe was. He influenced their 70s air. Trevor Ravin influenced their 80s air just as much. Um, he was a really powerful voice and yes, clearly. And he is good. He's I like his sound, but it's different from standard yes. That being said, you still have classic members like Chris Squire and John Anderson there. So you can't say it's completely detached from yes because there's still that element of the sound. This is different yes. This is shorter songs yes. This is uh, maybe poppier, yes, would be a good term for it. Um, but it, it, it's good. 
this is a very good album and I like it quite a bit. I've heard it a lot. It's probably like it's ranking on here doesn't reflect how much I've listened to it because I've probably listened to this one quite a bit. I won't say it's the one I've listened to the most, but like if I were ranking them by how many times I've listened to them, this might be like four, four or five. This pro actually this would easily hit the top five for ones I've listened to the most. That being said, I don't like the other albums here hold up better. Which is a, uh, here's going to be another controversial one, because, uh, oh, and my favorite song pick was uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart, but Cinema's fantastic as well. Um, I think it's songs like Leave It. Like, I like Leave It, but it doesn't really grab me. But anyways, so number 12. I don't think the placing of this is going to get me heat. I think the fact that I put this over 90125 is more likely to get me heat, because it is Big Generator. Their album immediately following 90125. And I wasn't sure how to rank this because there are songs on 90125 I like more than this. But there are songs I like less than on this. I would say what ended up nudging me, and it's close between these two albums. It's so goddamn close. I want to stress that. I nudged for this one. Because, sonically, this flows together much more as an album. This feels much more cohesive. The songs flow together without sounding too similar. Like, uh, say what you will about 90125, there is kind of a, you know, here's a collection of songs feel a bit to it, which Big Generator doesn't have as much. It feels like, obviously all albums are a collection of songs, but can you get them to work as an independent song and also get them to work as a cohesive album, and Big Generator does that better than 90125, which is why I nudged it a bit higher. My pick was uh, Shoe High, Aim Low. But yeah, there, there's a like the the closer. I love Hearts as a closer, but Holy Lamb just kind of it it nudged a bit higher for me. It's it's close between these two. Maybe maybe I'm going to look back on this tomorrow and be like, fuck, 90125 was a bear big generator. What the fuck was I on? But right now, it's big generator over 90125. So, on to number 11. Number 11. Number 11. Is it even a Yes album? Holy shit. No, it's not. It's Anderson Buford Wakeman House. So why do I include it on here? Because this is honestly the only album that... Uh, that they ever did like this. And frankly, it's a Yes album. It has Roger Dean cover art. It has four classic members of Yes. The lead vocalist, the original drummer, the classic keyboardist Rick Wakeman, the classic guitarist Steve Howe. This is this is Yes in everything but name. So yes, this is going to be on this list. And I think it's funny because this is the... Uh, I almost said this is the best 80s album. It doesn't even have the Yes name, but there's one more 80s album I haven't gone to. So, but this is the second best 80s album. It doesn't have the Yes name. Uh, this feels like classic Yes in the 80s, the best way to describe it. You can tell, you can really tell the difference what Steve Howe brings to the table and what Trevor Rabbit brings to the table when you compare uh, this to stuff like 90125 or uh, Big Generator. And that they're both so good. But they're they're so different. Like it's so much more electric guitar with uh with the uh, 80s with uh, 90125 and B 
big generator. And this is, uh, you know, sure, there, there's plenty of electric guitar, but there's more, you know, got some acoustic stuff going on, too. And... Ah, fuck it, I'll just say it. You know, I think Steve Howe's a better guitarist. I do. Um, but he also, like, it's... I don't want to see that to bash on Trevor Rabin, because Trevor Rabin is very, very good. Very good. And he brought Yes to the mainstream and made them relevant in the 80s, so I can't bash him too much, but... This is a really good album, and it works unbelievably well. This was a regular rotation for me. This is, you know, like I said, Keys to Ascension were the ones I was biggest unfamiliar with. This one I was fairly familiar with. This is on my rotation, and it's one that's almost always forgotten about by Yes fans, and I think it's important to bring it up. My pick for favorite song was Order of the Universe. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We've made it. We've made it the top 10 yes albums and before i get to the top 10 i'm gonna grab another drink of coffee so what what do we have for 10 and i think it's worth noting how many 70 i think i've covered one 70s album so far and we've gone over 13 albums so we got 10 left and those 70s ones are gonna be popping up you know it so what is uh actually was time in a world time in a word might have been 70s technically so two 70s album um, so, what's coming up? Well, number 10, oops, number 10 is Tormato, uh, their last album of the 70s. This is, quite frankly, fantastic. I love this album. Um, it's definitely an underrated Yes album. It doesn't have a lot of the cla- in fact, I'm trying to think if there's much in the way of classic tunes on this one. But it's it's catchy tunes. It's just nothing that I think really caught on in radio airplay. Maybe during the time, but it would be before I was listening to radio because this came out two years before I was born. But this is a this is great stuff. Uh, Don't kill the whale is great. I think uh, my pick for this was my pick for this was Future Times Rejoice, the opening track, which is fantastic. Um, apparently, they played this on the Silent Wings of Freedom. As the opening track for this new tour, which is the, the I believe, the final track on this album. Which, unfortunately, I missed because they started so early. But we will get to that when I talk about the tour. Um, but yeah, that that was intense. So they opened the doors at 7.30 and they started playing at like 7.45. I was like, what? Well, I thought I had at least a half hour. Um, I guess get there as soon as the doors open. Jesus. But anyways, yes. Um, this is a this is definitely, we're getting into a classic era. And this one, I would definitely qualify as a classic even if uh, it doesn't have a lot of those classic songs on it, which doesn't apply to my number nine pick, because the number nine pick has at least two classic songs on it I can think of, and that is Going for the One. Oh, God, am I going to get censored? There's a man's ass on my screen. I always thought that was interesting. There's a man's butt on this album cover. But anyways, Going for the One, two absolutely classic yes songs one of them was played on the tour uh they did wondrous stories on the tour uh the other classic yes song that's featured on this is the opening track going for the one just overall really strong cohesive album i really enjoy this one going for the one is just a great like kick you in the butt opening track just like bam that guitar riff is in there bam you're engaged with this album wondrous stories is uh i believe one of the middle songs but it's a nice little peaceful song, quieter. It works so well in that moment. This is just classic, yes. Absolutely classic. 
Um, my pick for this one was Awaken, and Awaken's kind of an interesting song for me, so I'll go ahead and go into Awaken a bit, because, like, the first, like, five to ten, this is, like, a long song, I want to say it's, like, a 20-minute song, the first five to minute, ten minutes, fucking jam, fucking banging, I love the beginning of this song, and the second half is nice and peaceful, and it works for me, but, I like, it being my song pick is entirely for the first five or ten minutes, because, fuck. Like, I don't even understand. Like, you listen to, like, uh, the riff at the beginning. Uh, I'll Maybe I'll even play it quietly here. Uh, try to avoid copyright. But, like, the beginning is, like, why don't they use this for movie trailers? This is, like, movie trailer stuff. It sounds a little, you know, it's, like, grab your attention stuff. I absolutely adore the beginning of that song. And it's the beginning of that song is, yes, at their best. And that's not even one of the, the, the big famous ones they're filming they're famous for on this album. Going for the one in one door stories were much more popular. They are fucking bangers as well. Uh, great stuff. So that brings us to number eight. So what is number eight? Number eight is, in my opinion, their last good album. Fly away from here. Or no, just fly from here. Fly from here is an album with two absolute yes classics. And a couple of songs in the middle that are pretty damn good. But the problem is the Yes Classic songs are so good. Um, when this album came out, and I want to say it was 2012 when this album came out, I thought, holy crap, you know, it had been a while. I didn't realize Yes was going to do another album because it had been a while since Magnification. And I was like, holy crap. Um, they're back. Uh, this is kind of like their classic sound, and this is really working for me. The opening track, Fly Away From Here, 20 minutes long. Fucking pure classic, yes stuff. Absolutely loved it. And then the closing track, um, which I believe was my pick. Uh, what? Something the Storm. Into the Storm. That was one of the songs I was addicted to. That I kept that song on repeat more than I'd like to admit. Absolutely great. And then the middle songs were, were solid. But, like, the first and last track were classics. And I want to stress... When I'm talking about Fly From Away From Here, because this song's an interesting uh, story behind it, because, and in fact, I'm going to bring it up on Wiki, because there's a lot to say, but they had a lead vocalist. John Anderson did not perform on this one. Uh, this is the first one he, I believe the last one he actually performed on was Magnification, which is a little bit sad. Uh, but this one had a guy from a Yes cover band, so let me bring this up. Okay, I'm going to slaughter his name, but it says here, Benoit David. And I thought he did a really fucking good job, but he got sick during the tour, so wasn't able to finish. And then what they did was they brought on Trevor Horn. And then they re-released the album as Fly From Here Return Trip with Trevor Horn as lead vocals. Now, Trevor Horn actually did one of the best Yes albums as lead vocals, and I haven't even gotten to it yet, so we will get to it soon enough. So he's not bad. I want to stress he's not bad. But that re-recording is not the same. Like, if you go to Spotify or a lot of other music network services, the only thing you can find is Fly From Here Return Trip. The original is better. I cannot... <coughs> Excuse me. God, I hope I remember to add that. The original is so much better. Track down the original. It's not on most mu music servers, but it's 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 just better. The the 
It's not just the vocals that are better, because I do think the vocals are better. But also the, the punch of the, the music, the guitar, the, the drums. It's just better. There's something about Return Trip where it's, it's still good, but it doesn't have the same punch. And I cannot stress this enough. Just get the original version of this. Return Trip would probably fall down quite a few spaces. I'd probably put it maybe in the back half. Because it's a really well-written, well-done album. But Return Trip just doesn't work nearly as well as the original. The original is why this album is posted so high up here. It's fantastic. So, what's number seven? Well, number seven is actually uh, an album that yes, did as an experiment uh, with, uh, they actually did this with a full band and full orchestra, and this is Magnification. This is the last Yes album uh, with John Anderson as lead vocals. Um, and God, I'd love to bring him back at some point. Uh, I think John Davidson is doing a good job, but he's not, he's not there. John Anderson's nailing it. That being said, John Anderson's not young, and if he, if he just kind of wants to retire, I understand that as well. But yes, this is good. I love the mix of Yes with the orchestra, and it just adds something different. And what I want to stress, one thing I really like about this, uh, this is something that Peter Gabriel kind of missed when he did his orchestra stuff, because when Peter Gabriel did his orchestra stuff, he got rid of the band and just did pure orchestra renditions of his songs. They were good. But what I think Yes does is figure out how to have the orchestra work with the regular band so they amplify it and they don't conflict with each other and they work unbelievably well. It's, it's why this album works as well as it does. They, they just take the whole progressive aspects to these songs and push them to another level. And it's really fantastic how it's done. Um, this is the album. Just I think they did this two years after they really figured out their sound. Uh, in the 90s, which <laughs> took them all to truly figure out their sound in the 90s. Not that they were bad in the 90s, but took them all to truly figure out their sound in the 90s, which uh, we will get to very shortly when they peaked there. But this is, uh, this is uh, I want to say my pick for this one was uh, Dreamtime, but In the Presence Of is good. Like, as a general rule, if you're looking for good Yes songs, look for the ones with the longest timestamp. They, they are the bangers, but yes. So good. And that brings us to number six, which is The Ladder. So, The Ladder, I'm going to admit it, this album has a special place in my heart. Why? Well, when I was kind of discovering music, the first band I discovered was Genesis. Second band I discovered was Pink Floyd. Third band I discovered was Yes. And what was the latter? The latter was literally the first album they released after I discovered them. So I actually got this and listened to it when it was released as a new album. And so it holds a very special place in my heart. Good news is I feel it really holds up quite well. Like this is their best 90s album by a decent metric. Pentultimate one with John Anderson. Hopefully that changes soon. But uh, yes, this is... Like, I want to say, I, my pick for the best one was Homeworld The Ladder, which is the opening track, which I believe they did for a video game. I never really played the video game, but the track itself is actually really goddamn good, and I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I hate to say it, I feel superficial when talking about music stuff. But I, I, you know, I'm trying what I can. Uh, that's why I like to have the more music guys with me. But yes, I, I have a very uh, emotional connection to this album, because like I said... I got this as a new one. This is the first Yes album I got as a new album. 
And I think I've gotten all the other ones minus Heaven and Earth as a new album. Uh, Heaven and Earth was almost like a stealth release. I remember finding out about a couple years after it came out. Wait, 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 wait. They did one after Fly From Here? <laughs> but this is a... Let's see. Who, who were the band members? Because it was an interesting lineup. Uh... So I'm pretty sure John Anderson, Steve Howe was back. We got Billy Sherwood, who I believe is uh, was on the current tour, as well as Steve Howe. Chris Squire was there, of course, because Chris Squire actually had the name Yes until he died. So uh, it had to have Chris Squire to be a Yes album at that time. Igor Koroshev was the keyboardist, and he, I thought he did a great job. I'm kind of, I don't think he's done that many Yes stuff. Uh, yeah, so he did Open Your Eyes and The Ladder, and those are the only Yes albums he's done, which is interesting. Um... But yeah, he does a great job, especially with the opening to, uh, I want to say it was New Language. That was a really good opening. I'm kind of surprised they don't use him more. That being said, Oliver Wakeman does a great job as well. Um, and Rick Wakeman's, of course, classic. So yeah, damn good album. So here we are. Here we are, the top, the top five. And what's going to come in at number five? What's going to make the top five here? Well, in top five is going to be their highest-ranking 80s album. And it's literally 1980s drama. This is perhaps the most metal Yes has ever been. These songs are harder than you're used to hearing from Yes. You can hear it immediately with the first song, Machine Messiah. Which wasn't quite my pick for best song. But, like, immediately it comes in with almost a metal-style guitar. And I'm pretty sure this is Steve Howe doing this one as well. Let me dig up uh, the info on this one. But I'm 99% sure, like, this is a, a How Squire run version of the band. All right, so the personnel on this one, we got Jeff Downs on keyboards, Trevor Horn on lead vocals, Steve Howe on guitar, Chris Squire on uh, bass, and Alan White on drums. Yeah. This is a... This this one hits harder, uh, and I I don't know if it was maybe just John Anderson walking away that allowed them to maybe be a bit harder because, like even after even the other albums that have come out later without John Anderson, they don't hit this hard. This is definitely like, this is as close as you get to a metal album from Yes, and it's actually kind of metal at parts. It's I, it, it what it like if you were to qualify this as a metal album, you wouldn't be too far off. This is. And it's kind of great. They do a great job, essentially, making their sound metal. It's it's really just well done. Um, now, my personal pick was Tempest Fugit, because Tempest Fugit... I love the beginning of Machine Messiah. Tempest Fugit just stuck in my head. It was just well done. Well done. This is a, this is a, this is classic Yes. By far, the best Yes album did not have John Anderson as lead vocals. Um... But that brings us now to number four. Number four is the album where they actually really get their sound. It's, you could almost consider it the second self-titled album. This is Yes in their pure classic form, the Yes album. Absolute classic Yes. Fan-goddamn-tastic. Um, it's weird, the transition between the Time and a Word and the Yes album. Like sonically it's so apparent um 
because it's like they flow together. Like, if you listen to them back-to-back, they flow together, but they also don't, because suddenly, like, here, they're getting into longer songs. They're getting into experimental songs. Uh, I'm trying... Like, there's so many classics on this one. Starship Trooper. Um, I've seen All Good People. Uh, Perpetual Change. Yours is No Disgrace. Um, and I was really torn what would be my favorite song, because I was torn between Yours is No Disgrace or Perpetual Change. I just changed it the other day, because for a while it was Perpetual Change, and I switched it back to Yours is No Disgrace. Tomorrow I might switch it back, but uh, this is classic, yes, at their classic best. We got the, the lineup, we got the, the John Anderson and Chris Squire, of course, the guys who started this whole thing. They're there. Uh, we got uh, Steve Howe. This is his first album as a uh, guitarist, and you can really tell his input influenced the band into the dis- into their classic air. We got uh, Bill Bruford stuck- sticking around uh, for uh, brain farting. He's stick- coming back for uh, drums. God, why can't I think of that? Uh, and then... Uh, who is the keyboard? Is this Rick Wakeman's first keyboard run? God, this might be Wakeman's first keyboard run. In which case, yeah. No, it's Tony K. So Tony K is still there. He does a good job. He does a good job. Um, so it's probably we, we're, we're going to begin to Rick Wakeman soon. But um, yeah, this is a absolutely classic. Yes, and we're getting down to the degree. There's not that many albums yet, and they're all clumped together. Like, like I feel like it was. The Yes album, and then the next three albums all came out, like, in this, like, three to four... No, not even four year, like, two to three year span. All the, all their four, honestly, top albums, in my opinion, came out. Absolutely fantastic stuff. That brings us to number three, which is sometimes my favorite Yes album, but upon re-listen to, not so much. But it is classic for many reasons. Not the least of which being that this is the first Roger Dean cover fucking classic stuff but this is fragile fragile again another collection of absolutely fantastic yes songs um this is just their classic stuff and i want to say yes this is the first one with rick wakeman so you get some keyboard solos and rick wakeman's a fantastic keyboardist but he's also a bit of a show-off and a bit eccentric but it kind of works with a band like yes because yes likes to give their musicians those moments so giving rick having rick wakeman there's a bit it makes sense but yes this is this is where we get stuff like roundabout long distance runaround heart of the sunrise just so many classic songs now my pick for best song actually isn't from that collection of classics because there's a song on here that's always underrated and i've always loved it probably actually more than the classics and i love the classics on here but my pick for best song is actually south side the scar oh my god i can't talk south side of the sky it's a t- absolutely classic guest song that was just never released so it doesn't get much attention it's on an album of bangers and it's a banger on its own right and it's an album track that nobody talks about so i'm gonna go ahead and talk about south side of the sky fucking classic i love it great song so, top two. We're getting up there. So, what's number two? Number two. This is an interesting one. This is definitely them at their most, um, what's the word? They're, they're really, um, 
maybe letting their egos run free with this album, but it's still, like, it's number two. It still works. And this is Tales from Topographical Oceans. Or Tales from Topographic Oceans, not Topographical, Topographic. So, this is their double album. Two, uh, two CDs for a studio album. Really, really good stuff. Uh, this double album features four songs in total. I'm not shitting you. It's a double album of four songs. Um, but they're all, like, every song's 20 minutes. Uh, I believe 20, the average is just over 20 minutes each. So it's actually just over the length needed to be a double CD, but still end up being a double CD. But all four songs are pretty much your classic long-form Yes songs, and they work incredibly well. Like, yeah, I feel like they're getting into their own egos a bit, but still, like, working. And they do wild, crazy stuff in these albums, but it still fucking works. I don't know what else to say, other than sometimes when uh, artists go into, an like, an ego mode, sometimes you get great stuff. And I feel like Tales from Top Graphic Oceans is absolutely qualifies. And you'll be shocked to see what my number one is. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is my number one? You probably can't guess, but number one, it's close to the edge. I mean, I don't even know if there's a serious con uh, competition for this one. This, well, I mean, like I said, the past few albums have been so goddamn good, but Close to the Edge is just pretty close to perfection as far as albums go. Three, three album track, three album track, three, three track album, Close to the Edge, and you and I. Siberian Katru. Um, Siberian Katru, like, that is definitely one of their harder songs until we get to something like Machine Messiah. It might be their hardest song outside of something like Machine Messiah. Uh, I love the guitar intro. If you listen to the live album Yes Songs, I believe, essentially, this whole album is on Yes Songs, just out of order. But that the opening track is they do this classical beast and it leads right into Siberian Katru. And if you know that song, that there's that epic guitar riff at the beginning that fucking bangs so goddamn hard and going classical straight into that guitar riff is fucking great brilliant live album in fact i would i'd say if you're not sure if you want to get into yes the best place to start might be yes songs because those are really well performed live songs and it's kind of a best of of their best air uh but yes uh close to the edge like every song on here yes classic no doubt there's no filler there's no extra songs just three absolute yes songs. Possibly their three all-time best songs, arguably. I think there's an argument. Maybe these are their three best songs. There are definitely contenders, but fuck. So, so good. I cannot argue with this album at all. It is so good. Now, we're going to get to my thoughts on the concert. So, enjoy. Very limited lighting in a car. Ooh! So I, I just got, found a parking spot. Uh, it's about 7.40. Doors opened at 7.30. I'm here to see Yes, which you probably already picked up from watching the uh, rest of the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I was able to get street-side parking. Not too bad. So that's kind of nice. And I'm not that far away from the venue. So I'm hoping to get in there, get some merch, and uh, get my seat to go check out the show. Um, it's a close-to-the-edge anniversary show. So, obviously, I'm expecting him to do all of Close to the Edge, which, if you've already watched the podcast, you know is my favorite album. So, 
fucking awesome. Um, some stuff I'm hoping they'll play. I've, one thing I have a serious question of is will they play Owner of a Lonely Heart? Because Owner of a Lonely Heart is by far their most successful, most well-known song. But they, uh, none of the members who were, uh, none of the members who are currently touring with them worked on that album. Uh, kind of an exception because Alan White is, I believe, still technically a member of Yes, but he will not be on this tour because sadly he did pass. Uh, I believe it was earlier this year. You can fact check me in the comments, but I believe it was earlier this year when he passed, which is very sad. So he will not be on this tour. And he was the only member who was still with the band who performed with them on that album. That being said, Steve Howe is still there. I'm expecting to see, obviously, Close to the Edge, hoping to see some Fragile, um, which would be awesome. Some Yes album would be awesome as well. Um, you know, the real classic air. Uh, I don't know if we'll get Topographical Oceans. I want my little cameo of Topographical Oceans. Um, so... Songs I don't think they'll play that I think they'll definitely play will be, uh, I, I think South Side the Sky was never one of their singles, but I was always one of my favorite songs by them. Uh, what else is there? Uh, I would love it if they did Awaken. I think there's a better chance they'll do Awaken than South Side the Sky, because the first half of Awaken I absolutely love. Great song. Um, but we will have to see. I'm looking forward to this. I've never seen them live before. This will probably be the first. And uh, they're quite in, uh, they're getting up there in age. So this might be the only time I see them live. So this this should be fun. I'm excited. One of my favorite bands. We'll see how this goes. But I think this will be a, a killer show. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, close to the edge. Yes. So interesting. Uh, I went in and they said no to the video camera. So uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to get some clips of my phone. We will see. There might be not any clips from this concert. So uh, we'll see what happens.
amazing that we ran into Marvis uh, vocalist about over 10 years ago. Still with us, John Davison.
I just got out of, yes, uh, Taft Theater, oh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Here, this might give me better light. So kind of spooky. Um, this was an experience, is the best way to say it. Um, good and bad. I want to stress that, too. It's um, good in that acoustically, yes, was nailing it. They sounded great in that theater. Um... You could tell live, always live, there's a little bit of mess-ups. There's, there's a couple mess-ups, of course, but acoustically, they sounded amazing, and I thought that was great. The way this concert was managed, I have questions about. So, the doors opened at 7.30. At least, that's what I was told. They were open at 7.30. I get in. Well, I, first, I go in to bring in my handheld, like I said before. I was able to fill up my phone, but not with my handheld, which... Uh, Maybe if I think about I'll show a picture, but it, like, literally just fits in my hand. It's just thicker than my phone, and I can zoom in easily and stuff, and hold it a lot easier. Um, I go in, and they say they can't, I can't uh, bring in the camera. I can only bring in my phone. So I run back to my car, drop off my camera, and run back. And as I'm getting there, I'm like, oh, I wonder where the merch table is, and it seems kind of cleared out. And I can hear what sounds like... Uh, uh, I've seen all good people. No. I am brain farting. What song was that? Ah. So the song I'm trying to think of in this moment is Yours is No Disgrace. I'm brain farting, but it's a classic Yes song. I'm going to brain fart. I'll put in the text below where I'm fucked up here. Um, but anyways... I'm like, wait, have have they started? And I look at the clock, it's 7.15. Doors open at 7.30, and it's 7.50, and they're already playing. Um, according to Setless FM, the first song they played was On the Silent Wings of Freedom. So, if I'm being generous, the doors open at 7.30, and they start playing at 7.45. Like, that's kind of mind-blowing to me. Usually, you get like an hour between doors opening and the set list. You know, a half hour, I think, is reasonable as well. If you only want to do a half hour, you know, you want to get there pretty close to doors opening. But as long as you're in range doors opening, you should be fine. But I'm kind of shocked they were already going. Okay. Um, like, usually you give time for people to go to a merch table, you know, if they want to get a drink. Yeah, all that stuff. But no, yes, it's just like, yeah, get in, get in your seats. And then in the middle, they do this, the, the, they take a, a break in the middle. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I can go get my merch. So I go get my merch, and, you know, uh, yeah, I got myself this cool shirt, Hardcore Yes fan. I got a green Yes 50 shirt. It's awesome. And they had a, uh, they had a very thick, uh, program. Like, I thought Genesis had a nice program. This thing's, like, killer. This thing's, like, at least, like, a lot, well, it's a lot more pages. It has, like, information on when the album was released, um, some old band photos, some artwork. Fucking Roger Dean artwork, which is always, uh... <laughs> and it flips to the beginning. There we go. Roger Dean artwork, which is always fucking killer. I love it. Um, but, you know, they took a break, and the break was about for 25 minutes, which might have been okay, but they have only one merch table and only one person working it. The line was lethal. So I got on that line, and I probably missed, uh, when they came back, like, I was in the line for most of the break. Then I started hearing Close to the Edge playing. I'm like, fuck, I want to get see it. And I, so I look up at my phone. I'm like, well, can I get the merch on the website? Like, on Genesis, I get the merch on the website. So can I just get the merch on the website and then just go get my seat and watch them play? I go to a website and the answer is no. 
Maybe there's some other website I can get from, but if you go to the Yes Official site, you cannot get the merch. You have to get the merch at the concert. So. All right, so I need to I need to add this. So um, there's actually two Yes websites, which wasn't clear to me. There is Yes World, which I always thought was the official website, but maybe it's a fan website, but I always went to it assuming it was the official. And then there's also Yes Official, which, yeah, I would assume that's the official one. Yes Official has all the merch. So if you don't, if you don't want to miss the concert, don't worry about standing in the line for the merch. Just go online and get it through Yes Official. Um, yes World, which I always thought was the official, it acts like kind of like the official, but it's not. Does not have it, and that's where I looked when I was like, "Oh no, they don't. They don't even have an online store, so I just got to get it here." So that's that's kind of on me, but I just want to let you guys know because, like, I look up Yes Band, my first. My first response is almost always yes, world. It's not yes, official. So just FYI. I'm like, fuck it. I'll stand in line. I've already been in it for this long. One person working the merch counter got my merch. And I miss most of Close to the Edge, the song, not the album. But I sit down. I get the tail end of Close to the Edge. I, I record a bit. You'll see. Because I, I can record with my phone, but not my camera for some reason. <sighs> And then, yeah, and then I get to see, uh, and the, and you and I, and Siberian Kachu, and I, you know, fucking, they nail it. I love those songs. And then, uh, yeah, um, you know, I'm kind of exhausted from all this running around, but it's nice to see, uh, you know, they, they do the whole, uh, set list for, uh, close to the edge and then they they bow out and of course they, they do the encore and then they do roundabout and uh starship trooper fucking classic songs no complaints there um i will say the show wasn't very elaborate and i will say like this was like 60 tickets um which i want to say was about why i paid for garbage and tears for fears but this was much less elaborate I have so many mixed feelings. Listen, overall, what I'm going to say is this. If you are a hardcore Yes fan like I am, fucking go. You'll enjoy it. Just be prepared. Uh, the merch table was open after the show was over, which I'm not used to. I'm used to the merch table being closed. So it is open after the show is over. So for the love of God, don't worry about your merch. Wait for the set to end and then go get your merch. Um, don't be like me and miss most of Close to the Edge. Just because you want to make sure you got your merch. You're, you're going to be fine. I wish I'd known that ahead of time. <sighs> but yes, I, I like if you're a hardcore Yes fan, go check this out. Uh, as far as my questions, no owner of a Lonely Heart. Um, so that's that's not here, which doesn't completely surprise me. Um, yeah, of, of the obscure stuff, I was hoping for like Awaken in uh, South of the Sky... South Side of the Sky? No, of course not. But uh, of my favorite songs they played, um, I probably lean for uh, Heart of the Sunrise as the best song they played during this uh, uh, show. And it was, a, it was a long show. I will give them that. And Steve Howe is, like, he's not a young man, and he is still doing just fine up there. And one thing that I actually thought was interesting is uh, I know he's essentially the band leader, but he is essentially working as the front man as well. He did all the introductions. He did, you know, he went at, like, 
the, of course, John Davison is the lead vocal. I believe it's John Davison. He's the lead vocalist. And you're, I'm used to essentially the lead vocalist being the front man. You know, not necessarily the band leader, but the you know, front man. But no, uh, Steve Howe has taken on both DDs. He is front man and uh, lead vocalist. Or lead vocalist. He is front man and band leader, not lead vocalist. Um, and he's doing it, man. He's getting around. He's, he's like, he is not a young man, but he is... You can't tell by the way he moves. He's doing just fine. I hate to do this because I love yes. Okay, I want to be clear, and I probably already said this earlier in the podcast, but it gets confusing because I'm recording this before I record the other part of the podcast, so I don't know why I'm going to say something. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. When I was getting into music, first band I got into, Genesis. Second band, Pink Floyd. Third song, band, yes. Fucking love yes. They are amazing. However, I would not recommend this show unless you're like me and a hardcore Yes fan. Um, this is not the worst show I've ever been to. It is the worst show I've ever been to since the pandemic. And I've been to, this is my fourth show since pandemic, so. <sighs> I wanted to come out and say I love this. Uh, this was, it was good. The actual show itself was pretty good. But, like, the way they have it set up, the way they have it organized, the way it's, like, rushed through, I'm not thrilled with. So it's it's less it's less an actual complaint of the actual show and more a complaint of how the show has been managed. But, yeah, very mixed feelings. A very mixed bag here. Um, if, if someone from Yes, if Steve Howe or someone from Yes happens to hear this, for the love of God, get... You, like, Genesis has, like, two merch tables and two or three people working each table. Don't do one merch table with one person working it. You're you're killing them, man. Dude, at least give them fucking... You better be paying them out the ass to be doing that. That is insane work to ask for one person. <sighs> yeah. Listen. Yes is an absolute classic band fucking classic. I cannot take that away from them. They are legends. Absolute legends. In fact, I'll go ahead and go a step further and say I think they're probably more legendary than Genesis. I like Genesis better, but I think they're probably more legendary than Genesis, but Genesis puts on a better show. That is a fact. Um, and this is this is a solid show, but in, unless unless you're a hardcore Yes fan, unless unless you're like me, Grew up listening to him. I, I don't think it's for you. It's fine. For the casual fan, it's fine. For the hardcore Yes fan, go ahead. It's it's not super pricey to see Yes. I'll give it that. But yeah, um, it's actually the least elaborate show I've been to since the pandemic. And that includes Wish You Were Here, which was a Pink Floyd tribute band. They were much more elaborate than Yes. Which is an interesting uh, thing. I mean, Genesis was by far the most elaborate. And Tears for Fears was all over the place. I would say this was about as elaborate as Garbage was. Except they were opening. And it was kind of like... Shirley Manson kind of owns the stage. And they were kind of missing that. I hate this. I hate this. Because I feel like I'm being negative. And listen, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this. But man, it could have been better. 
could have been better. It, it, doors open at 7.30. Don't start the shut set before 8. Absolute earliest to start the set is 8. Give people a chance to get merch. Um, honestly, if you give people plenty of chance to get merch and get settled at the beginning, then I don't care how long your mid-break is. If you're not, if you're going to rush your start, then you have to give people a long break. Because you are working your merch person to death. Or, if, if you don't want to do that, if you just want to do it as is, then that's fine. Put your merch on the website. These are just some simple things to help manage this. But again, I feel like I'm being too negative. Listen, it was a good show. It was a good show. I enjoyed it. Uh, would I do it again? Yes. I do not regret doing this whatsoever. But it could have been better. They think order and chaos are somehow opposites and try to control what won't. Do you enjoy pain? Pain don't hurt.